Happy New Year and welcome to Genesis Church. It's uh, good to have you here with us today and big thanks to Tiffany and Lydia and the band for leading us in worship today. We just join me in thanking them for uh, that great time as we kick off the new year and I want you to give yourselves a big hand because you have perfect church attendance for 2022, all right? Yes, let's hear it. But uh, it's a good day today. We are glad to be here with you on this January 2nd. We've got a lot of people watching online as well. Uh, we know that everybody can't be with us right now, uh, whether uh, lots of people with being sick or just being safe or recovering. And so we certainly understand that. We're thankful to be online. In fact, uh, you may not realize this, but we are back live online as of today at 1030 on Sunday morning. So we're really grateful for that. That uh, is a pretty big feat to pull that off week after week, and so we've been having to pre-record for a while, but uh, we're able to start doing that again today because we've got a great team of people that have been working really hard for the last couple of months, and so uh, we are, are grateful for that. Let me pray this morning uh, as we're getting started. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and grace, and as we were singing there just a moment ago, for your goodness in so many ways, Lord, and I forget, we forget all of the ways that you bless us and care for us, Lord. We are nothing without you. Uh, we have nothing without you, Lord. And so thank you for your love. Uh, thanks for your goodness. And uh, thank you for this time today. Lord, we pray for those that are sick today, for those that are recovering, for those that are at home, for those that are in the hospital, Lord. We are just asking for your healing, healing in our lives, healing in our country and around the world, Lord. We, we need your healing, the healing from heaven uh, to bring wholeness to this place again, Lord. So we are trusting you uh, for that. Thanks for this time today. Uh, Father, Lord, we, uh, we want your presence to be here with us, uh, to guide us, to guide me as I share, to open up our hearts and minds as we prepare to, to listen and to maybe respond to what it is that you have for us, not only today, but in the year to come. We are looking forward to this year and how you're going to do something special in Genesis Church. And so, God, we, we give this time to you. Uh, guide and direct us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Well, hey, I'm going to need your hand, uh, literally, to help me out. I need your, uh, I, I, just by a show of hands today, how many of you are hoping that 2022 is going to be better than 2021, all right? Just be honest, get your hands up, all right? Plenty of you. How many of you are demanding that 2022 be better than 2021? Like, if not, you know, you might throat punch somebody, all right? Like, it's, it's got to be better. We all appreciate, I think, the start of a new year, because with the new year, year comes new dreams, new hopes, new desires. I was reading an article this past week about how to set goals, you know, as you go into the new year. And the writer suggested that before you rush in uh, to setting your goals, that it's helpful, that it's important to spend some time reflecting on the past year first. Ask yourself questions like, what went right? And uh, what went wrong? Or, or what did I learn along the way? Like, what did I learn when it comes to my relationships, the most important relationships in my life? What, what did I learn when it comes to some of the health goals that I set last year at this time? What are the things that I learned about myself, my tendencies? What, what did I learn from school? What, what am I learning at work or in my job, in my career right now? How does that influence the way that I think about this next year? And according to the writer, he says that reflection is helpful. That, that before you take the time, if you're a goal-setting kind of a person, to set goals for the next year, you should first spend some significant time looking back, thinking back over the past year. It helps to ask yourself, what did I learn? Like, if I had to do it all over again, what would be some things that I would do differently? And with that in mind, 
Again, before you rush into setting goals in regards to your marriage, before you set any uh, exercise fitness goals for this year, uh, before you set goals for your sales, you know, and how many sales you want to have in 22, like set aside some time to look back and reflect first. And maybe you're not a goals person. All right, maybe you don't take that time. Maybe you don't believe in setting goals. At least I want to encourage you to think about your faith, to think about your relationship with the Lord, even your church family. Like if you you don't do anything else, maybe set aside some time today if you can make it happen or tomorrow or sometime this week and just look back on the past year and, and reflect a little bit when it comes to your relationship with God. Ask yourself, like, how has God blessed me? Uh, What are the different ways that he has provided for me? Like, what's God teaching me right now? Be honest, be bold. Like, what's hard right now? Or do you feel stuck spiritually? And if you feel stuck spiritually, why do you feel stuck? Or, Or how have you grown? Like, one of the things as I was doing this, one of the things that I've learned about myself is how quickly things like social media and the news influence my thoughts, uh, and my attitude. And when I realize how much time I'm wasting in these things, I can also see how things like my anxiety increase because of it. And so God keeps teaching me about the importance of planting myself in his word, filling my mind with his promises rather than the latest story about COVID and what it might potentially do to us next. I, I, I want more of God in my life. I want more of, of his thoughts. I want more of his words filling my thoughts. What about you? Like, what about you? Like, what, what would you like to see God do in your life this coming year? How would you like to see God grow you? Last year as a church, we did this series called Planted. All right, if you've been around, you heard us talk about Planted. The idea comes out of Psalm chapter one, where the psalmist writes about the person who spends time every day in God's word and how, and what it says in Psalm chapter one, verse three, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. The idea was to have our whole church reading through the Bible uh, this past year. And many of you did that. I've talked to a bunch of you that made the effort and you read through the Bible cover to cover and maybe the first time or the first time in a long time. I know that many of you tried, you know, you gave it your very best uh, attempt and that's good too because if you gave it your best effort, you probably learned some things along the way, you know, and even if you weren't successful, you discovered that you read more than you ever had before. And there was some great fruit that resulted from it. I asked some friends from Genesis to reflect on their past year reading and and what they learned. And I got some great testimonials back. I wish I could read all of them for you. I'm just going to read for you uh, a few comments. Uh, One high school girl, girl said, you know, after reading through the Bible, I'm also working to focus less on myself. I've seen the need to to help and to serve others more. One guy said, I've read through and studied the Bible many times, but during the Planted series, readings and the sermons and small group discussions, you know, through it, God taught me there's always more. There's always something more to learn. Um, I heard one person say, you know, I didn't read it all. I appreciated their honesty. She says, I stopped and started, I stopped and started, but when I was reading and engaged in Scripture, I could tell, she says, the more I read, the more I wanted to know. And one woman said, you know, just seeing the words over and over again from beginning to end, the Lord is compassionate, the Lord is gracious, the Lord is slow to anger. And she commented on how that's influenced uh, her own life. One, one woman talked about how a little over a year ago, uh, she was contemplating reading the Bible from cover to cover, even praying about it. And then a few weeks later, we announced as a church that we were doing that as a church family. And she said, that was just one more example of God out in front working in my life, preparing my heart. 
One woman said also, just getting in a routine of reading the Bible in the mornings, having your mind set on that first, and how that can influence your day and all of your actions. Uh, One guy wrote this. I'll I'll read this short paragraph. He says, one thing I gained from reading through the Bible this year was a transformation. I never really read the Bible until this commitment. And so truly diving into God's word for one full year should change a person to their core. It changed me. And I'm a person and a believer. She, he says, I became more spiritually mature, mentally strong. I never really was confident to share my faith in the good news with others until this journey. My heart's on fire and I can see God's fingerprints in every aspect of my life. God has revealed my calling in life. I am walking the path that he has shown me through this journey. I never would have noticed my calling if it wasn't reading through the Bible, for reading through the Bible in a year. That's pretty cool. Some cool stories. And uh, if you've got a story, if you've got something special that God's done in your life, man, we'd love to hear it. Feel free to email us or message us, uh, catch us uh, after a service. Uh, but if 2021 was a year for us as a church to get planted in Scripture, we believe that 2022 is a time to grow. And that's our theme for this year as we announced in our Christmas services. Again, our theme for this year is to grow. If 2021 was about being planted, 2022 is to grow. What's grow? Well, while planted had us reading large portions of Scripture every single day in order to get through the Bible cover to cover in a year with grow, we're going to slow down this year and uh, really study the Word of God using just one book of the Bible. And we'll probably refer to some others along the way, but specifically the book of John. And we want to invite you you to join us in that. And here's how you can get involved. If you haven't picked one up already, we invite you to take one of these journals. There's a bunch of them back at the Info Hub. You are invited to take one, all right? It's yours, all right, to take notes in, to journal in throughout the year. You'll find that there's also a handout in there that describes this GROW event for our church, kind of the big idea of why we're doing this, our prayer. There's also a Bible reading plan, all right, that you can follow each week that'll kind of guide you so you can follow along Well, what we're talking about here on Sundays. We're going to talk about John you know, throughout most of the year. And, uh, and so you need to be here for that. And if you can't be here, I want to encourage you to get online and to watch a service or to follow along with the podcast. And then you might all can also consider, if you're not already, joining one of our connection groups. We know that many of our groups are going to follow along with us uh, in this series. We'll talk more about how you can get connected to groups in the next few weeks. So part one of GROW is going to take us all the way through May. All right, and if you hate the winter, think about May. All right, it's going to be a really nice time of the year. We'll take a short break for the summer. We'll still do some other things. We're going to get together on Sundays. But part two will start in August, and then it's going to take us almost all the way up to Thanksgiving. And like with Planted, the goal isn't just to be able to say that you read through the book of John. No, there are two important goals that we've outlined for why we're doing this. The first one is this. So we want to grow in our relationship with God, every single one of us, individually, as students, all right, as kids, parents, think about how to get your kids involved, as men and women, but also our second goal is this. We want to grow together as a church family. One thing I always tell couples before their wedding is if you want to follow Jesus as a couple, you have to follow him as an individual. All right, you've got to do that first. And so if we want to follow Jesus as a church, it's going to take every single one of us following Jesus individually. And so we want to grow in our relationship with God as individuals so we can grow together as a church family. But let's talk about John, just the basics of John for a moment. Like why in the world John? Like why are we studying it? Because there are four gospels 
Gospel just means good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are often referred to as the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. Why John? Good question. I'm glad you asked. That's what we're talking about. Well, a little bit about the Gospels first or the first four books of the New Testament. All four Gospels provide a unique biography about the life and the teachings of Jesus, but they're different too. They're very similar, but different. For example, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are much more similar to one another in their content and in their approach. That's why, if you're taking notes, they're often called the synoptic Gospels, all right? And the word synoptic just means common perspective. Scholars say that about 90% of these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is very much the same. But even in their sameness, they're also very unique. Like consider Mark for just a moment. Mark is the shortest of the four gospels, and some believe it was the first biographical work of Jesus accepted that was written down. And it seems to have been written from Peter's point of view, which makes sense as Mark, and he's sometimes referred to as John Mark, uh, was a traveling companion with Peter until late into Peter's ministry. And so scholars will say that because Mark was first, his gospel seems to have provided a lot of the source material for the other synoptic gospels, gospels like Matthew. Who's Matthew? Well, if you've been watching The Chosen, all right, which I recommend, Matthew was a tax collector, which means he had a really unique relationship with Jesus. And because he was a Jew, he wouldn't have been accepted really by anyone because most of the Jewish people looked at him as being a traitor for having sided with the Romans on things like taxes. But then Matthew met Jesus, all right? And Matthew's life was changed. He started growing. And so unlike Matthew or Mark, Matthew had a personal relationship with Jesus, he eventually became a disciple of Jesus. And Matthew was definitely written for a Jewish audience, all right? He had Jewish people in mind as he originally prepared his work, and he likely composed it 20 to 25 years after Jesus' death. Now, Luke was a physician, all right? He was a doctor. And many of the clues in his writing tell us that he was a Gentile, that he wasn't a Jew, and he was a well-educated man and very particular about details. He was very particular about chronology. And his traveling companion was Paul, the Apostle Paul. And it's thought by many that Luke's gospel was compiled as a result of interviewing others, spending time with Paul, especially while he was in prison. And then finally, there's John, all right? And his gospel is the most unique of the four, because while the other three focus on Jesus' message of the coming kingdom of God, Paul's message, or excuse me, John's message is more focused on the person of Jesus. Like you could also add that while the synoptic gospels are largely event-based, John's gospel is very relationally based. And so keep this in mind. Keep in mind that John was one of the first, Jesus' first, Talmudim, or another word for disciples, but not to start. Like John started by following a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Now, I like to call him JTB in my notes, all right? And so if you're looking for shorthand, JTB was a teacher whose mission was to point people to Jesus. We'll talk about him in a couple of weeks. And when and Jesus finally came on the scene, JTB was to his disciples, go follow that guy, all right? Go follow Jesus instead. This is the one we've been waiting for. And John was likely a teen at the time, maybe one of the youngest disciples to start, but he's going to live to be the oldest, all right? His history records well into his 80s, if not older. Older. John is often referred to as the beloved disciple or the one Jesus loved. And this makes sense as he was one of Jesus' closest friends and with Jesus on so many important occasions. He was there for the transfiguration. Uh, he was there for the Last Supper. He was at the foot of the cross for the crucifixion. Uh, he was at the empty tomb on Resurrection Sunday. And he was there for the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And many believe that John wrote his gospel 
all right, late in his life, at the end of his life from a place called Ephesus. And so to say that he's writing with the benefit of a lot of perspective and experience would be an understatement. In fact, scholar and theologian N.T. Wright explains it well. He said, John wrote his gospel many years later because he needed the extra time to chew on and digest everything he had ever heard and seen from Jesus. And while Matthew and Mark and Luke share 90% of the same material, 90% of John is only found in his gospel. In fact, one scholar refers to John as the maverick gospel. And another reason for that is while Matthew, Mark, and Luke, again, tend to be more chronological, one of the things that we're going to see in John is he is all about interpretation. He's all about symbolism, which means he's working hard not just to tell you what Jesus did, but to help explain why Jesus did the things that he did and what it means for us as well. And one more thing, and this is kind of important as we consider context and think about who John was originally writing to, Jerusalem was defeated by the Romans in 70 AD. And so if John wrote his gospel late in that first century after that event, he's writing to people and to Christians who have lost everything. And they have been scattered and forced out into the rest of the Roman Empire. These people would have been facing desperate and difficult times. And John knows that. Add to it false teachers are popping up in the church and around the Roman Empire. These false teachers were challenging the deity of Jesus, claiming that he wasn't really God. Many were questioning his humanity. And so as the last surviving apostle, John viewed his role as a critical one as one, a person, a man who would stand for the truth of Jesus Christ to the very end to anyone, up against anyone who would deny it, that even when times were difficult, he remained passionate about proclaiming that Jesus is the way, that he is the truth, and that he is the life. And maybe that's why John begins his gospel the way he does. If you've got a Bible and you haven't opened it already to John, I want to invite you to turn there, all right, to John chapter 1, verse 1. If you use a Bible app, you're welcome to use that. Uh, We'd love for you to have a Bible, all right? We've got them in the back of the room if you need one, but get a Bible, all right? Have a Bible, bring it with you to church, all right, on Sundays throughout this series, because we're going to study a lot. We're going to take a lot of notes together, but let's take note. John chapter 1, verse 1, here's how John begins his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the starting point for John's biography about the life of Jesus. And notice that he writes, in the beginning. And we'll come back to that in just a moment and why that's important. But first, I want to take a few minutes and I want to provide for you just a general, brief, quick flyover overview of the book of John and how it's structured. All right, and so if you're taking notes, you might copy some of this down, but most scholars divide the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, into four main parts. The first one, you could just simply call the prologue, all right? John chapter 1 through verse 18. Think of the prologue as like pulling back the stage, you know, or the curtain on the stage at a big performance. Like any great play, any big movie is going to have a great opening scene, right? Like you know that if you love Star Wars, all right? Because you know the opening. The iconic text moves up the screen. The music rushes through your veins. You know the importance importance of a big opening like that. If you like war movies, consider the opening from uh, The Last of the Mohicans or Saving Private Ryan. 
If Hallmark Christmas movies are more your speed, all right, this relates to, like it's the opening scene when the main character situated in her executive corner suite gets a call from her angry boyfriend. He's upset because he's learned she's got to return home for a couple of days right before Christmas. And why is he sad? Why is he upset, Hallmark fans? He knows she's going to go home and fall in love with the handyman, all right, that, that she's not coming back to him anymore. And so he's upset by it. What's John's opening again, he says, in the beginning, in the beginning. Remember, John is less concerned about chronology and more interested in meaning and significance. And so it's no coincidence that he chooses the words in the beginning, which sounds an awful lot like what? Genesis chapter one, verse one. Is this coincidence? No way, not a chance. This is John's way of saying that Jesus introduces a brand new day a brand new beginning for all of creation. And so again, he writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In Greek thought, Jesus as the word or as the logos in Greek means Jesus is the one who brings unity and order to the universe. In Jewish thought, it means that he's the dynamic power that has been sent to accomplish God's will on earth. Remember, God spoke the world into existence with a word. Jesus as God's word means that he is God's agent. He is God's special revelation. All right, self revelation to all people. And John also says, note that Jesus was with God and that he was God. We're skipping over things here. We'll come back to him next week. In verse three, Jesus is given credit as the creator of all things. Keep reading. And John briefly mentions John the Baptist and how then Jesus is the light of the world. But what's the one truth I want you to see today that John would say should totally blow your mind? It's found in verse 14 when he writes that this word that Jesus Christ became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus reminds us that Jesus, as God, came to the earth and he tabernacled or he made his dwelling on this earth, that he came to earth as God in the flesh, also called the incarnation, which to a group of people, if you think about John's original readers, all right, whose history involved, you go to the temple to be close, but not too close to the presence of God, because if you get too close, you are destroyed. To think that God would come in the flesh as a person to this earth was absolutely mind-blowing. And why did Jesus come? Well, as John's going to explain, Jesus came to fix what was broken that Jesus came to, 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 to make a way back to God, that Jesus Christ came to deal with the problem of sin once and for all. You know this, but sin is the problem that we all face. Uh, sin is what's wrong in our world today. Sin ultimately separates us from God. And because we can't fix, you and I can't fix the problem of sin on our own. Like Jesus came to the earth to make things right, to provide a solution, to provide a way back to God so that when we trust Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are pronounced forgiven. And not only that, but as John's going to explain, you are also given the right to be called children of God. And so a big part of Jesus' mission was helping people find their way back to God. Many of you know that we've made that the mission of our church family, that we believe that we exist 
to help people find their way back to God. And I want to take a moment and just say this, that if you're not currently on board with Genesis, I want to invite you to jump all the way in with us on this mission in 2022. Because while things like COVID and our busyness uh, and our getting out of routine threaten to distract us from what's on truly most important, it's important that we stay focused on those things that really matter. And we believe that we are here for God. We believe that our church exists because of Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ, and that we have this responsibility given by God to help others know Jesus and to come back to Christ, to know Christ, to know the Lord. And so we want you to be a part of it. I want to ask you, I want to invite you to join us, to jump all the way in, in this mission of helping people find their way back to God. And for some of you, here's what's going to be special about this. For some of you, 2022 is going to be the year that you give your life to the Lord, that you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For some of you that have never done that before, I'm praying, I'm believing that God's going to use this church. He's going to use somebody in your life, that the Holy Spirit's going to work in you and work through this study. And this will be the year that you give your life to the Lord and we get the opportunity to baptize and to celebrate with you as a church family. There is no greater decision you can make in your life than to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And there's no greater way of making your life count but to follow and to live for Jesus. And how do we follow and live for Jesus? Well, John gives us a clue in verse 18 of that first chapter when he says that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Do you want to know what God is like and what God wants for us? You look to Jesus. Jesus is the one you study. Do you want to know what it means to follow Jesus in 2022? Read John with us. Let's study the life of Jesus together and learn and put it into practice. And let's be people that model and serve as examples of Jesus Christ. That's the best way to follow Jesus. All right, so that's the prologue. All right, we'll talk more about that in depth next week. The second part of it is a significant part, and that's what's often called the book of signs. Following the prologue, the first half of John's gospel is often called the book of signs since it recounts the signs of the miracles that Jesus performed. And this is where we're going to spend a majority of our time all the way through the month of May. Now, the miracles are called signs because they not only demonstrate Jesus' power as the Son of God, but they also help us to understand a lot about who Jesus is and why he did the things that he did. Like Jesus' signs or miracles are often linked in some way to his teaching. For example, when we read about Jesus feeding the crowd with the loaves of bread and and the fish, well, he's also going to teach about why he's the true manna and the bread of life come from heaven. And there are seven signs or miracles that John records in his gospel. I've listed them here for you. Again, we're going to work through each of these. Now, are there only seven miracles that Jesus performed? No, no. But that's all that John records and his use of seven, guess what, is symbolic, all right? He did it for a reason. We'll talk more about this, again, because he's more concerned about symbolism, isn't he? All right, and, and, and the meaning behind these events. Like take the water to wine miracle. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks. Uh, as we'll see Jesus and his disciples, they're gonna attend this great wedding celebration in Cana, all right? And to the Jewish reader, that's really significant, a wedding celebration is because it reminds them of the Old Testament where God's salvation is described as a great wedding feast, a feast where the aged wine, the best, and the best food would be served. And then the wine runs out and Jesus steps in, right? And he turns water to wine. All right, what's he's doing? 
He's not just providing wine. He's demonstrating how God's salvation has arrived through his words and through his deeds. And then there's the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. We'll look at this right before the summer. The raising of Lazarus is meant to highlight the rage on the part of the religious leaders who will eventually crucify Jesus. But when Jesus tells Mary, I am the resurrection and the life, this is John's way of hinting there's something really special that's going to come. And so there's the miracles in the book of signs, but the book of signs also highlights seven I am statements or sayings of Jesus. And that's not by accident either. That phrase I am, which is a connection back to Exodus chapter three, when Moses asked God, hey, what's your name? You know, or what are we supposed to refer to you by? Who should I say sent me? And God or Yahweh says, I am. What's Jesus saying with the I am statements? What's John highlighting? That Jesus is who he claims to be, that he is God, he has always been with God, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the great I am. And so that's the prologue, the book of signs that make up the first half of John. Again, we'll study these before the summer. We'll take a short break in June and July, talk about some other things, and then beginning in August, we'll resume with part three, which is the book of glory. Scholars call it the book of glory, which extends from John 13 all the way through chapter 20, which describe Jesus' last days in Jerusalem, uh, describing things like the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, the trial, the crucifixion, the empty tomb. If you've read it before, you know the book of glory includes some really heart-wrenching words, honest words of Jesus like his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. By the way, just even the fact that that's captured in John is further evidence of his authorship as he would have been one of those that was close enough to Jesus to heard those words, to have heard those words in, in Gethsemane. And why is it called the book of glory? Well, Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation are often referred to as his glorification. All right, as the events captured in these final uh, chapters of John uh, bring glory to God the Father, and they also happen to restore Jesus to the glory he had before the incarnation, in other words, before he came to the earth. And one more thing, interestingly, the events captured in this part of John are meant to lead to our glorification, ultimately our salvation, as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. That's the book of glory, all right? And finally, we end next November with part four, which is just one chapter. We'll call it the epilogue, all right? John chapter 21. This uh, contains another post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. There's another miracle, a catch of fish. This involves the restoration of Peter after his denial of Jesus leading up to the crucifixion. And finally, the identification of the author of the gospel as the disciple Jesus loved. So that's John. All right, and that's grow for us and what we're up to this year. Again, how can you get involved? Grab a journal today, all right? They're at the Info Hub and grab one of the handouts too. Your assignment for this week is just start reading John. Uh, a bold assignment would be read the whole book. Again, it's 21 chapters. Maybe it takes you an hour or so. Uh, break it up uh, throughout the week. Work through John. Get to know John a little bit. One of the things you'll find on our website is that there's a grow tab. We've put some extra resources on there. We'll keep adding to that along the way if you want to go deeper, if you want to look in some other directions. Uh, one thing that I'll also point out is on the back of this handout is what we call our SOAPS study method. I'm not going to break this down to what this is, but you can read it on your own. We'll talk about it in the weeks to come, but you can use this as a way of studying on your own throughout the week. Again, you've got that journal. Make some notes. 
Be here with us, especially next week. If you can't be here in person, watch online, catch the podcast, get with some people. What are our goals again? We want to grow. All right, I'm going to ask you to pray. We're going to pray together in just a moment. We want to grow in our relationship with the Lord, and we want to grow as a church family. And that's John's intent. That's why he wrote his gospel. That's why he wrote this work. In fact, he outlines the very purpose of his biography in chapter 20, at the end of chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. These are John's words. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But here's his intent. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so John says, for those of you that have never put your faith and trust in Christ, I want you to read these words, study them, and believe, and trust, and grow in your faith for the first time, or the first time in a really long time. But notice also that he says, and what the, he's trying to, to get at is this, for those of you that have already trusted Jesus Christ with your life, I want you to keep believing. I want you to keep growing as you read and study these words. Pastor Kent Hughes says this about our time studying Jesus and specifically studying the gospel of John. He says, the serious student of John will find that each time he or she returns to the gospel, Jesus gets a little bit bigger. He explains something like Lucy's experience with the lion Aslan, the Christ symbol in C.S. Lewis' Chronicles of Narnia, as she gazed into his large, wise face. He records these words of C.S. Lewis when Aslan says, Welcome, child. Again, the little girl looking at the lion says, Aslan, you're bigger. And he responds, That's because you're older, little one. Well, not because you are, replied Lucy. And Aslan, again, the Christ figure, looks at her and says, No, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love those words. That every year you grow, the time and the effort you take to connect with Jesus, to study the word of God, you're not going to help but find Jesus bigger and bigger and bigger. And imagine what that could mean in your life right now and in your marriage that you're just trusting the Lord to get you through or trusting the Lord for a brand new day. Imagine what that could mean for you in your fears and your anxiety and your frustrations and seeing Jesus in greater ways. That he's growing you, that Jesus becomes bigger to you. Imagine what that could mean in your faith. If you've ever said, I just, I want to grow. I want to know Jesus in deeper ways. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Dive in with us to the gospel of John and let's grow together. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your love. We thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit who works in our lives and in our heart in ways that we could never imagine or accomplish on our own. But thank you for the gift of your word and for words like the gospel of John that we know and believe that you've inspired these words. We know that you are the influence and the author ultimately behind not only the gospel of John, but all of scripture. And we thank you that you've given us these words 
so that we might know Jesus and grow in Jesus in even greater ways. That's what we want for our lives, Lord. Father, will you grow my heart and my faith? Would you grow the heart and faith of those that are here right now, those that aren't here with us yet, those that are listening online today, Lord? Would you grow our faith? And in doing so, will you grow our church family? We want to be people who follow Jesus so that we can be a church that is following Jesus. And so have your way in us. Have your way in our lives, Lord. We are here. We are trusting you. We are putting all of our faith in you, Jesus. Have your way. Have your way today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.